Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. Did you catch that whole title there, Dan? Scout's Honor, Badge to the Bone. I've never heard of this before, but I'm going to guess that it either stars Larry the Cable Guy or the Insane Clown Posse. If you had to make a third guess, and really think about this, because I actually think you could get this. Uh, If if I told you there was like... uh, like, not in a main role, but, like, you know, in some very small roles, a couple comedians ended up in this, like, independent movie from 2009. Uh, but an independent movie from 2009 you've never heard of, mind you. Yeah. So, but I these mean, are, like, minor comedians. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, Chris Kattan but, is in this movie. Oh, okay. I, my guess was going to be Bill Bellamy. Okay, but, that's uh, actually a good guess for this. Yeah. That was going to be, I was going to just run through the cast of things like Soul Plane. Yeah, well, actually, they just collect on, as many comedians as possible. On that note, the only other name you know in this movie is Fred Willard. Oh, right on. Oh, yes, all right, the Pete. late great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's incredible. Yes. So wait, say that whole thing. Scouts honor badge to the bone. Badge to the bone. Is this a children's movie? It's a not rated independent comedy from two thousand nine. The poster for which features only Chris Kattan in like a Boy Scout uniform, even though he's clearly 45 years old. <laughs> uh, and I can't imagine he's actually in this movie for more than 10 minutes. He's just the yeah. only like recognizable name. He just shows up and does like a, oh, yeah. and everyone's like, yep. And he, then they yeah. hand him his check for $72 yeah. and he bounces on out. Also, like, not for nothing, and I, I don't want to shit on the guy. I, for one, am a huge fan of Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, uh, I'm a Catan fan. Yeah. A Catan, yeah, if you all will. All the way. All the way. Uh, if you look at the cast for Scout's Honor, badge to the bone, uh, you know, the headshots for everybody appear to be headshots, except for Chris Catan's, who might actually be a photo of him, like, being arrested for being drunk. I'm not sure, but that's definitely what it looks like. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Oh man, this is insane! Yeah, and I love how the writer and director have no other credits. Yep, none, none. Oh wow! Uh, there you go. Anyway, that, welcome to I, I mean, like to movie movie. Mind <laughs> mind blown. Yes, welcome yeah. to I like to movie movie. Uh-huh. Uh, please uh, definitely get out there, like and subscribe. We're trying to put out a lot of. Uh, additional content for you while we're all bored as fuck (laughs) so uh trying to get that out there we're gonna be doing i keep saying this we're eventually gonna be doing some prizes because i have some shit to get rid of Uh and uh, so definitely check out our youtube subscribe to that and thanks to everybody who has been watching it and uh yeah uh gary you want to bring in our guest yeah uh an old friend of dan and i's uh that we uh, used to do comedy with here in philadelphia now he's out of boston and has a podcast of his own and also a record that uh, just came out last month. Welcome to the show, Joe Messina. How's it going? Welcome, buddy. It's a pleasure to have you here. I was really glad that you reached out and wanted to come join us. Yeah, yeah. I heard um, when you had Max on, Max Barth, yeah. uh, who's my uh, sometimes comedy writing partner in crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, and he's uh, the other half of, and forgive me, is it Jackson Moe? Do I have that right? Jackson Moe. Jackson Moe. Yeah. Uh, I, uh... 
and he was on here promoting somebody. that record, which uh, you are on. You're the other. You're the other half of Jackson Mo. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And we, we actually we put out a new album, uh, I think, in July with, oh, nice. uh, with Jackson Mo. Yeah, we we did a, we recorded a couple new songs late last year, and uh, we had all these plans for like touring, and then we'll record more songs this summer, and then we just. Uh, you know, put through a couple of live tracks on and we've got these two new tracks and put that out too. It's called Lockdown and Loaded. <laughs> okay, awesome. That's fantastic. Is that uh, on the Bandcamp for, uh, for Jackson Mo? Yeah, uh, Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever else. Yeah. I have to confess, when we, had, when we had Max on the show, I was like spread thin and I just kind of forgot to listen to uh, any of the music before he was on. So I had to kind of bow out of that section. But um, I have listened to lockdown and uh so i want to retroactively tell tell max great work <laughs> and um yeah it, it's uh you guys are really really good and what's funny to me is i grew up uh, with a guy in my life named joe maxon oh. and i can't separate the two in my head it's my like paxton pullman where it's just the it is forever intertwined and i'm always going to call your band joe maxon <laughs> that's cool too uh yeah yeah um Oh yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we we worked with a friend of Max's who's a really good um, uh, audio engineer, and we got a couple of like pro musicians on it. So just like wanted it to sound as good as possible yeah, <laughs> while we nice make jokes. <laughs> it, and it does. It's great. And I, I so you're well, one of the reasons you're here is you have an album that just came out called Rageonomics, um, yeah. which you can find at joemessina.bandcamp.com, uh, which, which I, I listen to. <laughs> oh what, so, uh, yeah i was gonna ask this how is this not already a no effects album yeah right i i uh i think there was some obscure band had a song called rageonomics so i was like all right this is i'm obscure too this is fine um, <laughs> but uh yeah and and no effects is probably the biggest influence on this album <laughs> okay i was gonna yes. ask that i actually i just re-listened to the war on errorism the other day which was their album that came out when i was in high school uh during the bush administration and uh the second bush administration and um uh, they did a couple bush uh yeah. era albums i guess I that's Fat true Mike is uh is quite the uh uh critic of the uh <laughs> as he should be yeah um, yeah I don't know why, but that was the one that I always really liked. That album in particular, I loved. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I hadn't gotten into, my, and, and didn't really after. Like, I hadn't gotten into that much, like, punk at that point. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, for whatever reason, I think they performed one of the songs on that album on, like, The Daily Show or something. Oh, so, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it was that album, uh, The War on Errors, and, and then Wolves and clothing i think was the one after that those were like my no effects albums mm -hmm. yeah. yes uh, i definitely oh, man, now i kind of want to go record. back and listen to some joe some no i almost said joe effects <laughs> great idea for an album name it's called joe effects <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah and i i would agree it is very reminiscent of that sort of era of, yeah. of sound and what uh to encourage people to listen to your record joe what i really liked was uh the second song we can afford it uh it really made me laugh because it's like legitimately a good anthem that i assume you wrote because you i know like another thing we'll talk about is your podcast radicalized me like um you uh, you are the kind of person that i imagine would actually try and get a rally cry going at a, a demonstration somewhere um using a song like that except that every other lyric in the song is dismissive 
of every single person that might actually also chant along with it. It then gives the middle finger to every person that might also join in to, to, with that chant. Speaking of my heart with that, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I was going for with this album was uh, to just really like, because uh, that's how I'm feeling right now. It's just, <laughs> you know what? Like, we've done this dance long enough. Fuck you. This is how it should be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it might not convince anyone, but <laughs> certainly cathartic. And, uh, yes. you know, I mean, as the choir that you're preaching to, I appreciate it. <laughs> so I'm in, all in. But also, you know, like if if you write, a, you know, something that kids can sing along with, then that might convince someone who hasn't made a decision already. That, you know, that's what happened to me with fucking no effects and shit. I was going to say, mm. I remember being 17 and buying a no effects album and ge- being getting ready to vote for the first time. And, it, you know, it meaning something to me, mostly because I was listening to like a bunch of cool people be like, this is uh, what you should probably think about when you think about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Growing up with a very, very right wing conservative family, it was a very, it was a very clear how much just pop culture influences kind of taught me to be like, oh, I can actually think for myself a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's a good, that's a gift to give. Yeah. And NoFX2 is really great at, uh, they just say whatever it is. Like, <laughs> there's no, like, like when I, I remember being younger and starting to write songs and stuff, and it, it was like, we, we, my friends and I always wanted to, like, get all these metaphors in there, and, like, be really cagey and, and, like, coy and stuff. And it's like, no, I the the better I've gotten at writing music and writing lyrics, the simpler all of it has gotten. <laughs> yes. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like uh, Nazi punks fuck off is pretty, like that is as distilled as a message can get. And yet that's the one that lasts. Yeah. And if you, if you go a little earlier, like I just love the idea of like a Woody Guthrie or something. Just mm-hmm. a guy like walking around, just cranking out songs about like miners going on strike and shit. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then, so you do have, uh, I know you have a podcast as well called Radicalize Me, uh, where you, I think you, you interview people that uh, I guess are uh, like activists and uh, stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, it's it's all kinds of people, and and that's that's the goal is because I think I started the show back in like March or April because uh, with everything happening, I uh, <laughs> the, the, like those phrases you need to like use as a shorthand now, like you know, with everything going on, like <laughs> well, the list of everything that's going on uh, would pretty much clean up the rest of the runtime for this podcast. Yeah. So it's it's a good shorthand. Yeah, you know the the situation. <laughs> The state of things, yeah. if you will. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I started it because I sort of felt like, all right, I've known for a long time that, it, that things aren't right. And I want to do more, but I'm not really sure what that is or mm-hmm. like, what steps do I take to become somebody who does activisms. So <laughs> I, I think that from what you know from what i gather i think a lot of people probably feel the same way yeah. i think there's um you know people just uh don't see an alternative to like well i vote for democrats and i watch cnn i don't know what else i can do <laughs> it's like <laughs> not much else you can do <laughs> yeah 
And so that's uh, just, you know, inviting people on who are, you know, some of them are, you know, careerists in some like organization. Mm. Others are just, you know, on the ground fucking communists and stuff and <laughs> like independent journalists on. And, there's, you know, there's just all sorts of stuff. Even if people are like, I'd throw $10 somewhere, but I don't know where. I give you some places you can do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's cool. I have to give it a listen. I, I admittedly have not listened to it. Yeah, I have not listened to your but, show. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's just because I, the only podcasts I listen to are just podcasts about murder. It brings me peace for some reason. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely would like to give it a listen. You sold me on that because I, I feel like I am part of that population. I want to help and I'm frustrated with with uh, figuring out how to do that. So that's cool. Sweet. Yes. <laughs> well, and so... I. Part of the reason I'm excited to have you here is because uh, in, you know, as you are, uh, ever since I've known you, you've been like, you're one of the most political people I know. And, uh, you know, I mean that actually in a, in a positive way. Uh, and you, so when you wanted to come on the show, you have the podcast going, and you got this album coming out and stuff. I was like, oh, what, what will Joe want to talk about on I Like to Movie Movie? And you chose B for Vendetta, which was like very exciting to me. Tell tell us why you brought B for Vendetta to the show. Yeah, so I mean, I thought it'd be fitting with, uh, <laughs> you know, it's crazy rewatching that movie, and it's like, it, it's I think it's set around now, maybe a little later. Yes, it's set specifically in 2020. It is, <laughs> okay. I believe so. Yeah, from that, um, but yeah, and it's uh, like there's a pandemic. There's uh, a dick dictator of a former democracy the uk and the, the u.s has descended into chaos and civil war it's uh-huh. <laughs> um but it was uh, freaky to watch like the, I, I don't want to get too far ahead but that last like montage when they're just explaining all the things that were going on i was like this is literal yeah <laughs> like yeah. it was it was it was upsetting but anyway sorry i didn't mean to cut you off. yeah i mean i think um I, you know, I almost, I almost questioned the decision, like, as I was, because once I started rewatching, I realized, like, oh, this is not, re- you know, there's that, that's the stuff at the end really suggests, like, a, a mass up, uprising, yeah. but a lot of the movie is about this one dude with swords, like, because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a comic book movie, you know, it's yes. really, like, yeah. and I, I questioned the, the choice for a second, because I was like, this, this is, uh, not like a socialist movie. This is a, a Western, like, uh, lone gunman kind of like, you know, diehard movie. <laughs> One dude going out and slicing the bad people, which, you know, I think ultimately I decided like, that's fine. That's yeah. a fun way to watch a movie. And it still has all the right messages in it. And I think the whole like overarching theme is, um, v keeps saying like this isn't about me I, you don't even, you don't need to see my real face this is, it's not about me it's about the ideas and they're gonna shoot me in the street but all of this will go on yeah, uh, yeah. so i think it's uh it is ultimately a very uplifting movie and people like just ultimately give in to the sort of change that's coming in that society mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that take on it. I it, I was very conflicted watching it. I was like, this because I saw it. I think only once in high school, probably. Last time I saw this was literally opening night at the theater. 
yeah whenever that may be so like it was kind of like watching a new movie but i i had a similar reaction garrett because when i first saw it i was like oh, okay that was all right yeah and i and uh during quarantine i've been trying to do a lot more reading and i read v for vendetta a couple weeks back oh, okay. just in anticipation of this so i was like oh I, this will probably make me love the movie more having read it and i kind of came out of it the same way i i was mixed bag kind of straight down the middle well, because the thing, so Joe, this is what I wanted to talk about with it. And I don't know, we'll see like where we come down on this. Because I, I like your take on it. And I do agree that like, I think that that is the message that the movie's trying to deliver. Like, I think your take on it is definitely what the movie wants me to take away from what's happening in it, you know? Um, but I had this weird thing where, as you're describing, the movie is wildly accurate to the actual world that we're living in, in, in like a weird way. But the... uh totalitarian like government that they live under doesn't feel anything at all like the totalitarian government that I currently live under in my opinion and that made me feel actually kind of strange like I felt like this movie was like a lot of it was predicated on this idea that like they're gonna censor you they're coming for you and they're gonna censor you and it's like that's not what how this started here you know what I mean like actually the people that are threatening me are the ones that are claiming to be censored you know yeah yeah that's that's interesting no one predicted the alt-right <laughs> yeah i think that this movie and even the source material does exist in the shadow of things like 1984 yeah and so i think that it does have to ascribe to that image which is the you know the more uh you know you want to say nazi-ish looking the big yeah. you know we see the big towering sim- symbols and things like that and so I think that one of the reasons why it doesn't, why it feels accurate to today, but does not look accurate to today is because they do have to borrow from that imagery. Yeah. yeah. It makes it all the more scary though, that it's that insidious that like we, we could see it coming, but we couldn't see it coming because it doesn't look right the way we've been trained to expect it. Yeah. And I think it, it, it was made in, um, you know, well, I, I guess the graphic novel was, was what, like the eighties and then. I think so. Yeah. Movie 80s and then I think it was into the 90s because it was serialized in small pieces and then finally found a home and then they brought it home right and then the you know the movie was made so early in this century I think it's also in the shadow of fucking Hitler you know like I think that's like the imagery people have Mm -hmm. of fascism that it's like this very like showy thing and it's like no, actually, we have a game show host with red hats. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> who could have written that? I know, it's, but that's what I mean. That's there's something about the way this movie presents this world yeah. that now that I'm living in a world that actually is uh, uh, like this, it's not like that. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's like it's not this like. Uh, and I think to your point, Dan, it's like what's interesting about that is like things like this almost train you to look for a certain thing. And until yeah. you see that certain thing, it doesn't cue you as fascism yet. You know what I mean? That's uh, why it's so insidious. So anytime yeah. something like this is taken over, it's yeah. because it snuck up on people who were fully vigilant to it, but it snuck up in a new way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what I think they did get right about like modern fascism is that um, Sutler never really like, says any beliefs like mm-hmm. it doesn't it, he doesn't like demonstrate any values besides like his power yes yeah and, like i think very um my therapist said something to me about like he was like it's so weird that like trump 
like doesn't seem to believe anything whereas like people like hitler they like he, he had very specific things that he thought and and whatever and i was like yeah i think that's a characteristic of modern fascism like what does Putin believe? He doesn't give a shit about anything. He just wants to keep being rich and powerful. Yeah, yeah. he believes Putin. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, almost like there's no pretense in the modern world, right? Like they 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 don't even need to pretend that there's something going on other than their grab for power. Right. <laughs> well, know? that's what I. It always frustrates me. Like, but you know, my parents are of course big Trump supporters. And what they like about him is that they see him as this wild card that that can't be, you know, can't be ascribed to anything almost because he's just fucking all over the place. And it's it's just frustrating to watch because to me it looks exactly like that. Like, oh, he doesn't actually stand for anything except his own ego. And for my parents, that's a feature, not a bug. I talked I talked to a friend of mine's father a while ago, like early into this presidency. I don't think I could stomach this conversation at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, he said something that was very interesting to me that did give me like a, a weird kind of insight into like how we ended up with actually a lot of people voting for somebody like Trump, where he was like, I, I was like really trying to needle him on like, what do you even agree with that he like says or stands for or anything? Like exactly what you're talking about, Joe, where it's like, what, what even is his platform that you are voting for and, and defending by voting for him or whatever? And he was like, he was like, wall, wall, something about wall. No, no. He was like, no, well, he was like, what I think is that the system is fucked up and broken. And he like his form of leadership basically proves that, that like, this is a fucked up broken. Like, he yeah, was like, like he, proves that it's a farce. He's like shaking. He, his opinion was like he's shaking things up. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that was like how he was like characterizing this. But what I what I heard him saying was like just the existence of this sort of chaotic element within government proves to me that like the system like is not working, right. which I think is such a weird fucking flex and bend to go like well. I, I, he says dumb enough shit and weird enough shit that I can't possibly defend that. But, and I can't possibly say out loud that I am actually a racist that wants to just vote for a racist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know it's what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's like, yeah, we agree. The system is like fucked up, but like, you know, we could do something about it. Yeah. Right? Or we could not do something about it. And you're choosing not. Yeah, that's weird. Cause like, well, is your dad a conservative usually? My dad, extremely. It's very much football to my to my family. And I think this guy I'm talking about is also just cl- definitely classically a conservative. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So because it's weird, the the on the flip side, I have seen a lot of leftists um, making this sort of accelerationist argument that yeah. like we're actually what does that mean? Uh, like uh, kind of pushing us towards the collapse rather than like trying to stave it off. Because yeah. you're like, uh, it's easier to rebuild from like, like, like by destroying the system than by like making a new one behind the old one and then destroy like whatever. The end of yeah. Fight Club. <laughs> right. And, Blow uh, up all the buildings, set credit to zero. Like it's better to start from there. And I, you know, I, I don't know if that's, if that's true, but I also just feel like, uh, it, that that just seems insane. I don't know. It's a really yeah, yeah. 
line to walk. <laughs> Interestingly like- enough, though, I think that's a little bit V's MO in both yeah. the book yeah. and the film, is that he seems to have such faith in, and I, I, this actually comes true more in the movie, I think I feel his faith towards the inherent goodness of humanity in that he truly believes that creating this state of anarchy will create a gap in which we can plant a new and improved seed. But then his behaviors in the movie, I I feel, don't necessarily support that hope. Once we get to the way he radicalizes Eve, it's like, what the fuck are we even doing? Like, this is nuts. If this is what it takes, then you are just a different totalitarian, like, regime of some kind, you know? It's just this, um, did did you guys watch, uh, fuck is that show called? The uh, Amazon Prime thing, The Man in the High Castle. I did not, but I I hear great things. It's, It's good. It's like, it's not the best writing. Like I, it's a, it's a little. Uh, you want to shoot yourself whenever they talk, but like, <laughs> okay, very it's like melodrama. Yeah, but it's it's a very like, uh, it it's beautiful. Like it just the way they created like what the U.S. looks like in. What's the premise? Um, basically, the Allies lose World War II. Oh, okay, okay, ooh, big. And, then Germany controls like the East Coast and the uh, Midwest of of North America, I guess. And the Japanese have the West Coast, and then there's like a neutral zone in the middle. Um, but then it starts like getting weird and and like uh, paranormal because they find these uh, film reels where like it's it's like the char- like the characters you know from from so far in the show, and then in the film they're in a completely different uh, scenario. They see themselves in the film and it's like this guy who is helping them is like a Nazi in the film and shoots one of the, it's like crazy shit like that. Um, is it actually expressly supernatural? Cause you might actually be selling me on the show at this point. <laughs> I, th- I think it is. I haven't watched the latest season, so I'm not sure where they go with it. I was a little bit disappointed with it. Cause I feel like, uh, not that I never enjoy a paranormal or a sci-fi. Yeah, movie. yeah. I feel like it's a cop-out a lot of the time with with uh, shows like this where it's like, I thought you were telling a story of like, what if this happened in history? And yeah. Then, like, th- it's just, yeah, what if uh, magic? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bugs me too. Now I feel you because even knowing just the plot, the general premise of it for the first time about a minute and a half ago <laughs> and then hearing the paranormal thing, it does feel off-brand to me. Uh, but whatever it is, there's one part where um, Jules, the the main character, uh, connects with this this guy she she knew or something, and he's like part of this resistance. And uh, at this point, like the resistance has gotten very aggressive and very militaristic because yeah. they're fucking fighting the Nazis. Yeah. And uh, with all the like different films showing different realities and stuff she's like um uh she starts seeing things like this resistance guy is wearing a nazi uniform like right in front of her in real life to like go do some like reconnaissance you know uh, uh undercover thing and she's like freaked out because he's dressed like one of the Nazis. And she's like, you're, you're starting to act like them. You're starting to look like them. And he's like, good. Cause if we're going to beat them, we have to be worse than them. Right. Like, Holy shit. Like, wow. Yeah. It's really scary. It's a dangerous line to walk. Um, and I think that this movie, you know, whether it uh, meant to 
uh, uh, condemn this or not. It really shows a great example of going a little, little too far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he I, fucking old boys, this girl, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's fucking wild. Yeah. That's, that's one of the disappointing things about the movie is that it's, it's very like, uh, it falls into a lot of tropes of like, uh, like beauty and the beast shit. Like he imprisons her. Mm. And, like, oh and the God. way it does, it is extremely of its time. Yeah. I mean, it is actually a movie that does exist in the shadow of something like Old Boy. There's no way they didn't think of that at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's. Mm. Yeah, and it's it. You know, uh, I it must come across differently, like 30 years ago in a graphic novel. Sure. <laughs> I gotta say, when I when the movie starts and you get to the point where you see V, um, I was like, is V a fucking incel? Like this dude is like. <laughs> He's got this long, greasy hair and his stupid hat, and he's like wearing a cape and talking. And yes. <laughs> my lady, like, yeah. yeah, very my lady. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, that- check out my swords. So it's a little disappointing because I think like Evie is actually a, a pretty cool character who goes from like trying to play it safe because of what happened to her parents. Yeah, getting radicalized, but it's all under this. She's under the wing of this fucking like, you know, sad poetry boy. <laughs> and you know, uh, is uh, I mean, I think inarguably like gaslit into what she all into being radicalized, right? So it's like at that point, it's like, well, what, is he just also a different form of tyranny? Like, it, you know to not not that not that things should have to get this way right but isn't the yeah. thing that should radicalize me the system itself like shouldn't it be that the system yeah. is so broken i have to radicalize to like fight it do you know what i mean yeah um yeah it, it's sort of like it, it's a weird uh universe in this movie where <laughs> is the only radical in a fucking dictatorship yeah. like yeah. yeah not some whole underground group of people who like like yeah, he's radical because he was in like the facility where they injected him with the virus. But like, maybe a bunch of other people like read a bunch of books and and they're yeah. like, and they're like, this is bad. I'm radical. You know, <laughs> it does happen it does happen that way. The, even when like people in the streets with the guy fox masks at the end, when they all start to gather, and it's supposed to be this big rousing moment of like, wow, the message really took. Um, in the movie, all of the, the technical pieces, like the music swells, the imagery looks fantastic. And I was starting to feel it, but it, it did feel hollow because we didn't have any of that boots on the ground stuff depicted. And I think that that has to do a little bit with just converting it from a book into a film. Because in the book, there's a little more breathing room and you do start to get the feeling of a rumbling undercurrent that just needs a spark. And in this movie, a year passes, but it doesn't feel like a year. You know, it's just, we get through the plot pieces real. Now, respect, I mean, credit where it's due, what they dissolve out of the text of the comic book is pretty remarkable in creating a straightforward narrative. But you really do lose that. I I, I would have, I could have used a few more scenes of actual, of actual activists or just people conversing about what is going on and what they feel. Yeah. It didn't feel earned at the end, I thought. Yeah, why not have like a few people who work for V or, you know, like it could be anything. Mm. Even just the idea of like the V insignia being this like symbol that's meant to spark something or whatever, it's like you would think there would need to be a movement that starts swelling that the symbol becomes meaningful to. Like, 
it just is like a thing that he just like you you know he does his big domino trick and it means something yeah. to us the audience but it's like what does anyone else think of this like i had the same thought both the first time i saw it and the second time i saw it i was like really he took time to build this domino thing and that's what he's doing with this time what the fuck is this but i will say that in the book it actually works better because the way it's presented yeah. you can use that as a backdrop as he lo- like just explains a metaphor for a very long time yeah. you know and then it comes out but this just was like oh they wanted to hire a domino guy and thought it looked cool. <laughs> and it did you know credit yeah. where it's due but without you know spending time in the book where you start seeing the v popping up in the periphery and things yeah. like that it doesn't feel as organic yeah um yeah it's it's i think it's always a challenge to like adapt that kind of stuff Mm-hmm. yeah well also i mean uh i'm a big fan of dan and i dan i think you read this recently too i'm not sure but uh from hell is another book that uh Alan from Moore hell wrote. has got to be my favorite piece of any media i've consumed all year that it's is just awesome. it's a jaw dropper yeah it's awesome but think about the way that the plot is released in that you have yes. trouble telling who's who because they yes. all kind of look the same and it's meant to be you get a feel for the time and place as opposed to one specific plot. And, and that the, is very similar in V for Vendetta. And you just can't do that in a movie that's under three hours. The best chapter from Hell is the chapter where the the surgeon, the you know, the main like evil surgeon guy, is taking his little underling on a tour around London and explaining yes. to him all of the uh like architectural monuments. And he's explaining that, like, the history of these monuments uh, indels them with a certain uh, almost, like, mystical spirit that, like, he's here to defend through these murders, basically. Uh, And anyway, it's, like, the best chapter in the book, but it's literally just this guy giving another guy a tour around London in a carriage. It's, like, it would be the least cinematic thing ever, actually. You know what I mean? Because it's, like, it's the best chapter in the book, but it's really long, and it is just a carriage ride around London. And in a movie, you would want to try and... I don't know, tell that through more action than just a character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I and watched so, yeah, that I, movie too. And a, I don't like that movie. A lot is lost in translation yeah. on that one. Yeah. Um, I'd say most is yeah. lost in translation on that one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, but as that applies to V for Vendetta, it's just like, I, I can see that, Dan, where it's like something about his work. It works. I mean, it's, it's written to be a comic book. It works really great on the page, but it, I think it does become a little bit difficult to try and figure out how you turn that into a 90 minute feature that, yeah. uh, you know, is digestible by a large enough audience to warrant the whatever $75 million it probably took to make this. You know what I mean? It's unwieldy by design. It's meant to yeah. be sprawling and cinema so rarely is afforded, you know, the ability to be sprawling, you know, it has to be, you're not you just can't put butts in seats for a three hour v for vendetta yeah you can put my butt in that seat probably everyone in this room but like this chat room for everyone listening please stay home and uh you know i gotta tell you i don't think i could do three and a half hours this movie that's the other thing that i was like not sold on exactly yeah this movie's drab and like i thought it looked kind of cheap uh in hindsight like portions of it looked cheap anytime the copperoonies were in their office it was just clearly just (laughs) right you know just was bland uk police like it yeah it's just a nothing yeah it's just nothing it's bland the big set pieces look great but they're few and far between there's a couple of really i think uh nice looking compositions and and shots throughout but it has a very drab color palette and the only humor to your point joe is meant to be like the way that v demonstrates his intellect 
I think are literally meant to be like the only kind of humorous moments of the movie, but it yeah. mostly is just like a lot of like, don't you appreciate the high arts, milady? And it's like, you're annoying as fuck, dude. Like, get out of here. I had a feeling where there, I, just very early on, if I was hanging out with V, I'd be like, listen, man, I like your ideas, but you're actually insane. Yeah. <laughs> like you're definitely, and, and I will say that uh, this is another thing that I, I think the movie actually gets this a little bit better than the book is that in the book, by the end, I felt that the book was in many parts an advocacy of these actions through and through. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, there were certain points where I felt it was aware of the fact that we should have a more complicated relationship with V. Yeah. In that, you know, I genuinely do like most of his message, but his methods leave some to be desired. Story is all this time. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's just a... That was something I will give the movie credit for, is that it made me think about that more, whereas in the book, I just kind of grinned and bared it. Yeah, definitely. It seems like he's supposed to be cool. Like, I'm supposed to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like what this guy's doing. I'm into his ideas. He likes art, like good art. And like, and I just like, I was like, boy, if this is this movie's entire sense of humor is that like, this guy, I don't know, is better than the rest of the world. I just, I, that's nothing for me. I got nothing out of this. Yeah. yeah. It does. It's it's actually not bad if you look at it as like a superhero movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it's trying to like layer something else on it. Yeah. <laughs> so rarely are superhero movies about the ethics of being a superhero, and so whereas this being a story that is very plainly about you know morals and ethics and such, uh, it becomes a little bit more glaring. Yeah. But as I said in the movie, I did feel like I had more of a complicated relationship with the than I did in the the book. And I wonder if that has anything to do with even just the performance. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so I wanted to ask you this, Joe, because the other thing that I thought was interesting in the movie, and I had, I feel like maybe, I think maybe I have a complicated relationship with this idea in the movie. I'm not sure. And you kind of have to set aside what he does to Eve, I think, to even like have this conversation rationally, right? But, you know, I think that V pretty clearly is like, look, sometimes you have to fucking blow up a building. Like, Sometimes this is what it takes. Violence is sometimes necessary to, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I think when faced with a great threat, like something like a, a totalitarian regime, a Nazi regime, right. sometimes we must take violent action to, to actually rise up against that. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have a bit of a complicated relationship with that idea in the first place. I think in the movie it gets a lot more complicated because V also seems to abuse, basically abuses a woman. So it's like, then once you start talking about that guy enacting any kind of violence, it's like, yeah, there's probably something wrong here. But mm-hmm. so again, it's like, if we set the Eve stuff aside. He does aside, abuse her just the same in the, in the book. He does, okay, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but the relationship afterwards of her just like, that's it, I'm leaving. And be like, the door's unlocked. That's handled differently. Yeah. And it's handled a little it's just, it's given more space in the book. So in the yeah. movie, it feels even worse. Yeah. But I you think know, what, in no situation is, <laughs> do I feel okay about it? No, I know. But so, and that's what I'm saying is like, you almost have to set that aside to have this part of this conversation, which is, I, I, that is an interesting idea to me. I think it's one of the things we're having to reckon with right now in America is a certain amount of violence in your revolution. And what does that look like? What does that feel like? Um, and I was curious, like some of your thoughts on that or what you think the movie has to say about that. Um, since I think you're- yeah. also- you know yeah please go ahead yeah i think it's it's definitely interesting in the context of like uh 
what's happening with police and protesters, especially in Portland, but in a lot of places right now. Um, yeah, I think so. I listened to um, uh, this guy has a couple of podcasts. So he's this independent journalist named Robert Evans. Okay. Um, so he has two main shows. He does uh, Behind the Bastards, which um, it started more as like he would do a deep dive into like dictators and shit. And now he's, you know, he's worked in more like grifters and, and all sorts of different like cult leaders, whatever. Um, and then there's one he has, uh, he used to work at Cracked and the, it's him and two other people from Cracked. Uh, and it's called Worst Year Ever. And it actually, <laughs> it started at the end of last year. And it was just going to cover the um, election. And they <laughs> how much worse year ever. Um, That's but, so funny. Uh, Oh, I want to listen to this. That's yeah, yeah. They're and they're funny and and it's uh, they're good shows. Um, but uh, he lives in Portland now, and he's been out like every night for <laughs> however long it's been. Jesus. And uh, he, what he says is that um, you know you have to be a little smart about it. But th- what people are doing by like pushing back, like you know, pushing the line and like throwing stuff at cops and whatever that's actually very useful as much as it just looks like chaos Mm -hmm. Uh, what they're doing is exhausting the police's resources you know Mm -hmm. um in maybe some other places too but i I think in portland recently a lot of the cops kind of stopped showing up and you know the federal agents were pulled out and and it was like yeah they they can't do that forever and there's Mm -hmm. way more of us than them Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, yeah, you don't want to go to war with police when they have all the guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and obviously, you know that we have whatever s- stops in place. But if this government wanted to, it could just crush us all. Sure. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's not an all out like yeah, just fucking like go all go all in. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think it's um, it, it's it's probably uh naive to think that that it can be done with no that you could have a revolution without it just doesn't seem possible yeah Yeah. i I mean as with everything i just have like mixed feelings on it but one of the things that i really do appreciate about you know the more violent aspects of it is is it is a almost just a a crass declaration of like the rules only exist because we agreed upon them and we disagree now and I, I think there's so much power in that and, yeah. and value in that. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's such a, a passe point at the, at, you know, by now, but like uh, we live in a country where people did literally this to yeah. form this country, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously there's all sorts of moral and ethical, ethical concerns about <laughs> those people and we shouldn't deify them. But yeah. uh, that, that idea is right here. Like it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> this is a young country. Yeah. Um, so for people to, uh, to look at it and say, well, I don't like violence. <laughs> and it's like, you're totally missing. Yeah. The point. There's a great, um, uh, it, it's, it's one of the things that comes up if you just search Angela Davis on YouTube, but like mm-hmm. she's being interviewed after uh, being let out of jail or I, I don't remember for what, but like the interviewer asks her about like, violence and like why like but what about the violence or whatever and she just gives this whole 
speech to him about like you you just if you're asking that you have no idea what black people are dealing with yeah 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 it, it, like all of this shit happens there's this whole like you know cacophony of 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 oppression and then someone pushes a cop and you're like hey violence <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah this is it's a life of violence for me uh you know like the yeah that's that's very interesting um, yeah, because I, I mean, I think it's so uh, this movie is not like a great example necessarily, I think, of like what we're talking about, because like in the movie, he's like, I guess, committing an act of domestic terrorism. Right. I mean, he's like straight up blowing up a building. Yes. Um, and I and that was where I started thinking about because I, I think I agree generally with the idea that it's like, yeah, of course, there's going to be like some fucking buildings that get vandalized or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, that's how this has to happen. Yeah. Like, if we're planning to blow up a government facility and, like, telling the government that that's what we're doing, like, I- I'm very interested in, like, are, th- are we crossing lines at this point? Like, where are we drawing these lines? You know what I, I mean? I think there's an aspect of the movie that, while I don't think is wholly successful, does make an attempt. Whoa, that was lightning. I, I know. I saw is that, that lightning your- in your camera and outside my window. Ooh, damn, dude. Okay, and um, I-, I think that, that the movie makes an attempt, and it's not a complete one makes an attempt to uh to uh glare over that you okay there in boston because <laughs> that was loud but v seems to understand that that he is crossing a line of sorts because yeah. v decides wantonly to eliminate himself from the equation yeah. and i think he fears his own corruption um and I, I wonder if i'm bringing something from the not from the book into it because it's all mishmash right now but yeah, I, I get the sense that he's like, I actually have to die along with this last one because I have crossed the line just enough to get this moving. But if I go any further, I'm just as bad as them. I'm wow. dying today. I'm dying for the cause. And I think he makes that decision. And I think that's how the movie and the narrative entirely tries to purchase mm. that blurring of the lines. I just don't know how I feel about the successfulness of it going there. You know, especially with the whole complete brainwashing of Evie in my rear view. (laughs) It changes the flavor of that for sure. But I I do think that's there. Yeah, that's interesting because I did have the thought while I was watching, I was like, oh, this is about if Batman actually had like a political ideal. Uh You know what I mean? If his ideal It's honestly similar at the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises when Batman's like, now that my message exists, I'm eliminating myself from the equation. And it's a smart move. I mean, and that's another movie that I don't know if it quite earned that, uh, that turnaround, but sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I got that from the movie. I would imagine that is like more explored. I could movie. be bringing it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, one of uh, one of these podcasts I just mentioned. Actually, just interviewed this guy David Kim, who's running for Congress in California, and he was talking about how like we need term limits for Congress, and he's like he told his wife like, all right like after three terms you have to stop me like i'm not i'm not gonna like run anymore after that i have to sit down but like i think people get used to being in office no matter how much we like their message i think you know uh bernie sanders is a positive force in the senate but he's still a guy who has been in politics for 40 years and not Mm -hmm. lived other parts of life in that right right so it's it's yeah I would I would much prefer if a younger version of Bernie Sanders had replaced him ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I so I don't know. I I did. There were things that I thought were interesting about this movie, especially in 2020, because there's so much that comes up in this movie. Where you're like, oh boy, why did we not see any of this coming? You know, like everybody that was writing fiction apparently predicted exactly how this was going to go. Like, how did we not know this is where it was going? I definitely felt, uh, especially, you know, when it goes through like the, it actually just walks you through the history at the end and we get into the virus and the ins and outs of all that. Uh, You know, a piece of me was just stunned because it was really exactly what happened. But then like the cynic in me was like, are they like i don't know if they predicted the future so much as is this just a repeating cycle right and i started to think about that a lot and i don't know if you guys have thoughts on that but that scared the hell out of me when that occurred yeah yeah i i think uh yeah the parallels are are frightening (laughs) (laughs) but like you know people go oh 1984 that really spoke to the time it came out but then it also spoke to 20 years ago. It speaks to now and it keeps to speaking. Is it timeless? Or are we in this like horrific loop of predictable tragedies and rises and falls? And it, it really looks like the second. And I just need someone to hug me and tell me that it's the first. <laughs> oh, so you're suggesting, and, and I, I don't even think this is a crazy thing to suggest, but like almost a conspiracy of like, yeah, this is this is an arc, a quote unquote, an arc of history where like where they have trained us to like it's going to go up, it's going to come back down, it's going to go up, it's going to come back down. But it's I mean, all. I don't think of it in terms thing. of a conspiracy. I okay. think of it in terms of now we have enough of a lens on on decently recent history yeah. that we can just track. Like this seems to be how this number of humans does shit. Yeah, when you yeah. put this amount of people in a room, this kind of stuff can happen to the point that you can pretty much call it like clockwork. Which a movie from what was this two thousand five something like that? Here, I'll look it up to make sure we get the at right. At least year. a decade ago, almost exactly goes through what we've gone over for the last four years, down to a fucking pandemic. And <laughs> it's like, am I? Is this were they being you know prescient, or is this just something that we could trace for the foreseeable past and future and just integrate you know contemporary flavor into the story as old as time? I don't know. I think it is. It's definitely a repeating pattern. And I think that it's, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people who want to say that's, that's human nature or so, you know, something like that. But I think that we believe that because this is the society we live in. And I think mm-hmm. like the values of Western society, like, and we're talking, you know, like from at least like 500 years ago to now mm-hmm. is like conquering and <laughs> You know, capital. Like honestly, capital is like a very poisonous uh, concept, and it it's led to this point where, at least in this country, it's it's more important than anyone. Like it's more mm-hmm. lives. Ooh, I get chills. Yeah, and it's really gross, and I think that's why that cycle happens. And if you look, you know, uh, it. I don't. I don't have a perfect image of what i would want government to be like but like when you talk about socialism people are like oh yeah but but stalin was bad like Mao was a bad guy so like (laughs) that's just what happens if you have socialism and i'm like yeah but look at what happens with capital like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you're eating the pudding (laughs) capitalism didn't stop us from getting a dictator so why should i believe that 
socialism necessitates a, a dictator. Yeah. Right. And when people say it just, oh, it just fails. It's just, you know, there's no way. It, it's like, yeah, but like capitalist countries go and, and fucking like put sanctions on these countries and loot them because they can't send in their oil companies and fruit companies to mm-hmm. loot them. Like, yeah. It's like, why has it got to be either or? We can we can take the best of many systems and make it work. We're not idiots. Yeah, yeah. And I like that's why I, I sort of fall into like I, I think ideally I'd want a socialist society, but also okay. Am I going to say like I don't want anyone to ever be able to sell anything ever again? Like, right. yeah, that's probably not necessary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, think yeah. there's a way of extracting the best from both and giving right. that a go. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, I, we'll so see. It's it's become <laughs> Did very. Did we just save the world? I think we just saved the world. <laughs> well, I do think that something that's interesting is just the the there is you know uh, okay so V for Vendetta has that sort of like rising tide at the very end, and yeah. I, I I feel like I can feel that rising tide in America right now, uh, and I you know I, I was thinking the other day about how like in our lifetime uh, like we're all in our mid thirties right. Um, like it, oh, I'm in my late thirties. Yeah, um, in uh, in in our lifetime, we have seen other uh, pandemics, but not really, not like this. Like we've seen other um, uh, 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 problematic right wing presidencies, but yeah. not like this, right? Like, and so it's like. I think we've talked about a rising tide before, but I actually feel a rising tide right now, if that makes sense. Like this feels very real. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, I guess, a positive that's coming out of what's happening right now is like, well, so, sometimes it takes a great moment of chaos to uh, actually get enough people to get behind a real change. Like maybe capitalism isn't what we should be found be founded on like maybe that's not the system that works best for a country of this size you know right to bring it back what was the there was a term that i asked you about joe that i asked you to clarify it um oh uh like accelerating uh, or something like that and yeah and so and and i think about that because what you're saying garrett is like the silver lining to all of this chaos and i agree with you is that it might create gaps that we can insert really good ideas into and make them grow but that is also essentially how my parents who voted and continue to support Trump see Trump as this agent of chaos that can do that. So whereas we see it as a silver lining, they see it in that acceler- uh, accelerated kind of, uh, yeah. I, I forget what the term was. No, that's uh, They Damn, see it in that accelerated great. way and then it becomes you know, dangerous again. It, it's wow. fascinating. You circled us all the way back around because that, that was the point that I was trying to make with, with my friend's dad who I was talking about having that very weird opinion about like, how he saw Trump and Trump's function in kind of the state of things right now or whatever, you know, that is kind of what I was trying to say. And we're all like, well, at least maybe this will happen. And they're all like, this will happen. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Which is, it's, um, it's kind of the evil twin side of that coin. Cause it's Mm -hmm. like, I would imagine your Republican parents are not trying to like, (laughs) like once Trump destroys society, put some like, more compassionate system in place you know no (laughs) honestly i think to them it just boils down to we we want less taxes and we have to own the libs because it's funny to us and like it's really that is all of it it's as far as i can understand it at this point yeah yeah and you know but i love them you know they made me (laughs) 
there is a whole weird thing about that, isn't there? Like, uh, there's a very weird dominance kind of thing to that whole side of the political spectrum of just it's like totally football. Everybody else is fucking stupid and dumb, and I'm gonna prove how stupid and fucking dumb you are, you fucking dumb, stupid dummy. Last year, when I was allowed to, when we were allowed to be at places, I went to the West End Fair, which is out towards the Poconos. And so at the fair, it's, you know, a guy gets shot out of a cannon. You can buy some artisan honey. And there are Trump flags everywhere. And all of the flags were him dressed as Terminator, saying, like, I'll be back. Or, like, Trump 2020, and it's him, in like, superimposed over Rambo. I can send you these pictures. I still have them. And I was like, that says everything to me. Yeah. Because there's nothing about that flag that says anything about policy or, as we talked about, him standing for anything. All it is is, how funny is this? How funny is it that people are going to get mad at this flag? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I can't believe you're trying to run our country on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a wild phenomenon because I've seen a little of that. Probably not as much um, uh, or as myopic, but like I've seen stuff like that with like Biden with his face oh, on yeah. his body and like Trump, they do that all the time. And it's like, yeah, we have these two doddering old like racists running president <laughs> and like people have to invent this fucking like persona for them that they're going to take out the the other guys and it's like it, I don't know everyone's delusional it's very <laughs> weird I tried to think of it in terms of like if I'm ever in a situation where I have to speak to somebody who would fly that flag I think that there is a, a level of understanding of that that I can at least come at them from to try and reach some sort of of you know try to, to delay the impasse for as long as I can. Because like, you know, like I, I don't think I could get one of my parents even to a point where they'd want to talk about policy. Cause for them, it's just like the damn Democrats did this, check out my flag. He's Rambo. Harumph. And it's like, <laughs> but that's all it is. And I go, there's nothing for me to work with to change that. But I wonder if I can look at that mindset and think, okay, if that's all this is about for you, maybe I can dismantle this somehow. I, I don't know. I think there's value there but I just don't know if I've exploited it. And frankly, we're running out of time. <laughs> I, the thing that I feel like I see in a lot of this myself is just like, most people don't have a lot, right? Like most people do not have a lot. And I think American exceptionalism is definitely a thing that is bred into us. That's like our national identity. Is yeah, we're the we, best at it. We are exceptional, right? And so because most of us don't actually have much because our system does not allow for any of us to really have much of anything, but we're, again, the nationalism of it all is like our identity is that we are exceptional. Um, that entire identity, I think, seems to be built around as long as I've got an enemy, a, a libtard to target this stuff at, like I have someone that I am better than. I yeah. do have somebody that I am on top of and exceptional to. Uh, so and you're saying it's an ego thing? I don't exactly. buy it. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I, I think that's the entirety of that thing, yeah. right? It's the only way it makes sense because otherwise it's like, I don't understand it. Otherwise I don't understand it because they're not that different to me. They don't have anything. Neither do I. Mm -hmm. Like right. we both need a lot of things yeah. and we yeah. don't have it. And we should just be working together to get them. Yeah. And disagreements and how to do so. Yeah. Then again, right? It's it's hard to even say that anymore. But um, you know, yeah, I, I I had a couple notes. There was a couple lines that I wrote down from the movie that I thought 
that I think can can play into this. Uh, just one line that I thought was really interesting during that uh, montage about you know where the world went wrong. They just referred to uh, the period where different became dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I just appreciated that uh, because. You know, and I, and I see this even beyond political spectrum. This is something that is like almost human where we're just so cautious of differences and then we let it reflect on our behavior. And, you know, in terms of politics, is how does that almost natural instinct get exploited when it should be something that we're taught to, to work beyond? And then uh, this kind of like... I might be reading in too deep for this, but like this is where I I sort of fell off board with V a little bit, is that he referred to every action having not an equal and opposite reaction. He says an equal and opposing reaction. Oh, whoa. And that feels different to me. Yeah, what an interesting distinction. You know, in physics, it just means if you hit something, it goes the other way. And saying an opposite reaction uh, in terms of like politics can also just mean you're like running to the other end of the spectrum. But opposing reaction, I started to have trouble with that because on the one hand, I started to feel like we're all feeling like, no, we need to act now because there's unrest. But also it felt to me a little bit like he had that burn it down mentality that I don't always uh, agree with. Mm. And so it was in that though that I thought, okay, this is, you know, where I don't think the movie lands there, I do think that that depth is trying to be hinted at and talked about there. But I don't know. Do you, where do you guys stand on, like, where does that land? Do we feel? It is interesting. Like the guy? Well, it is interesting because he says the distinction that's made there, right, is that it's an opposing force. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you were to take that back to the, the physics law that this phrasing is based on, right, which as you were saying, Dan, it's like you hit something it's and that opposite. thing is, yeah, you hit something and that thing is going to move, Yeah. right? What he is saying is you hit something and that thing is going to hit back, right? By changing that word, like he, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what he's actually implying is that like, it's not just you hit it and it moves. It's if you hit it, it's going to hit back. And I think his, his view of what he's doing is hitting back, right? And, yeah. And I, so on one hand, if, I agree with that. on the spectrum, he, instead of going opposite, he's going opposing that would still just to this visual that no one listening can see would leave him in a problematic area of the spectrum, Yeah, which is why he would, I think volunteer to be a martyr for his cause so that he right. doesn't push that much further. And I think this line speaks to that, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I, I, yeah, right. I don't know how, how that should look in real life. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know how successful the movie is into getting me there. Like, like you know, we said this is a lot of this is me bringing stuff from the comic that I'm just mixing up, and probably my own biases into it. Uh, but one thing that really endeared me to V, and it was right at a point where he was, where I was starting to be like, this guy is actually just insane. You know, he's he's just a crazy person who's got some good ideas. But um, he's asked by Evie. She says, "Is it?" Anyway, sorry, uh, now I forget who asked it. Maybe you can remind me. But the question is, is it meaningless to apologize? And the response is, never. Yeah, the doctor, right? Uh, before he killed her. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. And so the doctor, you know, the, and it wasn't before he killed her. It was after he killed her because he had already injected her with the poison. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's something that's in the comic book, too, that made me, like, gasp. Where, you know, but he gave her the mercy of it's not going to hurt or anything like that. 
But yeah, is it meaning to you know is it meaningless to apologize? And he says never. And I think that I, there's like a decline in abilities to both apologize and accept apologies uh, in in society today. And um, I just really like that where it's somebody sounding like they really are giving a meaningful apology, and him accepting that meaningful apology. I think uh, well. But then the situation being like, but the damage is done here. There are and this is going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. That was fascinating to me. It's, it's weird. I just, I wonder, you know, even now it's, it's tough when, when something happens and somebody gets in trouble, it's so hard to read any apologies as genuine. And it's so hard to grant any genuine apologies, any sort of forgiveness. Cause we don't quite know what that looks like. And you know, in their situation, it came at a point where both parties were in agreement, like, okay, we're both sorry, but what, what was going to happen has to happen. Yeah. You know, this has to roll through and that's, that's yeah. murky. I love it. Yeah. You know, I think, um, what that made me think of is I think, I don't know if Biden has, but I believe Bill Clinton apologized and maybe even Bernie Sanders, cause he ultimately voted for it. The 94 crime bill. Oh, right. Yeah. Biden about. Um, Clinton definitely apologized for that. I remember that. And with Clinton, it it feels very like, all right, dude. But what are you, like, what are you gonna do about it? Like, he's not gonna change anything. Um, you know, I think Bernie is trying in some ways, and Biden. I don't know. You know, it's it's. Uh, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's not meaningless for Bill Clinton, one of the most powerful people in the world, to say that. But it, right. it mm-hmm. does. Uh, end up being pretty hollow <laughs> it's all but I, and it's it's the kind of thing that like you know does the healing process involve you know us then responding being like you are forgiven but we're still fixing this the same way we were always going to fix it you know like right. it, that's that's an interesting thing but i just yeah. i really love that line because it was a it was a point where i remember when v said it that i actually felt for him i was like that was a really mature thing to say especially since your methods are very much, you know, burn it down, get out of Dodge. And, you know, which I'm not discounting the value of, but it was just a, it was a very human moment. And even though I'm, I liked the book much better than I liked the movie, I think the movie was, gave me a much more successful uh, depiction of, not wholly successful, but a much more successful depiction of V and his motivations and methodologies. Yeah. I would highly recommend reading the book. I would love uh, like it. I said, it is it started out as a serial that wasn't supposed to have an end. And then when it finally found like a, a publication home, they brought the story together and wrapped it up. And it becomes a big omnibus from hell watchmen style thing. But because it doesn't start that way, it it has room to become a little murkier. And so, you know, I it's man, I would have loved to just be a fly on the wall during the adaptation process because they mined out a really cohesive story but it's one that ends up making a mess of the murkier elements right yeah yeah because i did i I felt like the messaging in the movie was like muddy overall like Mm -hmm. i i agree with your initial statements about it joe about like what the movie really was about for you is like that feels like what they want me to take away from this movie it's like that sort of idealism about what v is doing you know um but I feel like the movie itself is actually very muddy as far as like getting that point across. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, and also, it it definitely uh, one of you said earlier about it being very of its time, uh, and I think part of that is um, uh, the the way that Natalie Portman's character is portrayed. Um, you know, I I uh, love the uh, the Bechdel cast. Uh, <laughs> you know, they talk about like how women are portrayed in movies. And so I went in this time watching it, thinking about that stuff. And uh, it's interesting because, again, like, she, she is a pretty cool character and at times is a very active character, but also just falls into a lot of these, like, damsel uh, tropes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, the, probably the stupidest scene in the movie is uh, when you think she's helping V and she goes to meet that uh, bishop... Uh, mm-hmm. And she's like dressed basically like a young girl, uh, and it's very clear that she is explicitly there as like a a, a a sex worker, basically, and that that is what he expects of her. And then it turns out that she thinks this man is going to help her. Like she thinks she can go, like, oh no, actually, I'm here in distress because of this other man. And yeah. you, bishop, that is trying to have sex with an underage woman, will help me get out of this. Ma-. I was like. This is the stupidest piece of writing in any movie ever. Not in the book. She goes along with it in the book. Yeah. And I think they did that in the movie to try and preemptively validate the fact that she was about to be kidnapped and by V and put into this thing. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those wonky moments where I think the movie thinks her betraying V like that um, validates her future punishment whereas right. I, I think we're all on the same page that it really does not but i think they wrote that into it for that function which feels so even weird. murkier to yeah. me because that's not in the book in the book yeah. she's like kind of all in at that point. yeah because it's it's like it almost gives her more agency by like oh she came up with this plan to like right. you know, escape this way and but it's it's stupid and then ultimately it's like it's what an insane it like when it's because i agree when it started happening i was like oh this is like their way of showing she's smart she's gonna like try and get one over on b and then i like within 0.2 seconds of that thought was like wait but this is her fucking idea about like what like why would she think this man will help her right yeah why does she think he would tell anybody her story because it begins with so it's about to bang the sex slave and like it's it's not a yeah uh yeah so something else was um okay so when she uh comes out of the uh prison cell and like realizes what happened like her acting there is like insanely good so like like having this crazy panic she's amazing in this movie she's so good in this movie yeah she really is and i think that it i think they may might have made her like a less reactive character earlier in the movie to like maybe play that part up but one of the first things i noticed about her in this movie is when they're on the roof and the uh uh the building explodes like her reaction is like like (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) like this insane explosion of like the most important building in her city she's like <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that is so. I actually—it's funny because I think I clocked pretty much the exact same. I remember having that reaction to her at one point, where I was like, "You're not more freaked out by what's happening right now?" Yeah, they give her little moments, like when she, when he first is like, "I'm gonna have to keep you here for a year." That's just the way it is. They know your face. Like they try to give her little moments of just like, "Well, that's not cool." 
well, yeah. I'm off to my room. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's not complete. Well, that's something that I noticed too. And this, I've been noticing this all over media now. Um, but this, uh, this thing where she like runs off to a room and it's a little different because she's trying to like run from the terrorist who <laughs> kidnapped her. But like this thing of like women just fleeing, it's yeah. just like yeah. something upsetting happens. They're just like, they're gone. Like, uh, did you guys watch the, uh, the babysitters club series on Netflix? No, it's, it's actually very good. So yeah. my not me to watch it, but it was, I enjoyed it way more than I thought as a 31 year old man. Yeah. But uh, it, it was like rampant in that show. Like, <laughs> something happens and they just, ah, I'm gone. Like, just like, I don't know, maybe 12 year old girls do that. But like, it's just this thing where like, I, I think you're sending this weird message that women just like cannot deal. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's an easy way around having to write them dealing. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, I have a runoff all emotional, like, and having a very similar experience the last couple of years like watching just like media and, and i guess being more aware of the way women are treated in their roles in movies you know mm. yeah i think i think this movie technically passes the bechdel test right under the wire like, uh-huh. like a two-line exchange between um evie and her boss that's uh, like, I thought you were gonna try and validate the letter from the from oh, yeah. the uh, lady in the adjacent cell. I was like, that's close. We're not the same right. Ladies be writing to each other. Ladies could, be writing. Yeah. Ladies could, be pen pals. Yep. I could see them say like talking about that on the show. Like it's so close. Like, <laughs> yeah. Across time they talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's it's really wild how bad <laughs> most movies are too. Yeah, um, there was um, a, a big jump from the book that made me laugh just because of how it was handled. Uh, when the one cop goes to the ruins of the uh, prison camp and he says, oh, I wrote down the quote about, you know, what he intuited while he was there. He says uh, it was a feeling. And, that, you know, when he figured out what was going on, it was a feeling. It was a feeling. In the book, he goes there and specifically takes a lot of acid and then just trips out so that he can try and figure out, you know, just like get it, basically uh, Will Graham his way into figuring out what went down at this uh, prison camp. Uh-huh. And so it was just funny that in the movie, he was like, well, I went there and uh, I got a feeling. It's like, this was much, much more fleshed out in the book as he's like crawling through the prison camp, envisioning stuff and, and tripping balls. And so that was a very funny way to just write around a thing that they didn't want to touch. I would have like, yeah, it's too much. Get out of here. Dan, that's like that moment in From Hell that I know I saw you write about that is one of my favorite moments too, when he just sort of like, so uh, yeah, for some context here, Joe, and From from Hell is all about Jack the Ripper. uh, And uh, it gets very specific about who Jack the Ripper is and, and is somewhat historical it's it's based on some research right and so it's this surgeon uh that was like a like sort of the head surgeon to the queen basically mm-hmm. um is who uh alan moore thinks is is uh jack ripper and it's very specific about that uh so in his book this guy talks a lot about like why he's doing these killings and why they are as ritualistic as they are and essentially what he's did you know alan moore wrote that book uh under thatcher and I think uh, in Alan Moore's mind, what he's talking about in that book is the beginning of Thatcherism is actually hundreds of years before Thatcher. 
And it's this idea of white hegemony being sort of enacted through witchcraft across time. Like it's, it, it's, that's essentially what Jack the Ripper is doing in the book is he's trying to like, through some sort of mystical, like through these killings, mystically sort of keep a white male hetero identity as the English identity for the coming centuries. And at a certain point, I believe mid-murder, is that when this happens, Sam? It's, yeah, it's during, like, his big final flourish murder. Yeah. When, like, the deed is actually done. He doesn't yeah. need to be doing this. The character has descended into actual, like, syphilitic madness at this yeah. point, too. Yeah. And, uh, but he's a very powerful and, and, you know, respected guy. And as he's, you know, doing this concerto of, of just cutting this, this poor lady to pieces, yeah. he's having a very long expressive monologue about how he's giving birth to the 20th century at this very moment. And then all of a sudden he basically teleports into a modern office in like 1995 and just sees like a bunch of people at computers in cubicles, like, you know, doing fucking, you know, whatever, like yeah, work like paper. ants, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and it's this very interesting representation of like, if this is the white male hegemony, like that identity, like hundreds of years later, this is what that looks like. It's like, it's literally just like slavery of a certain kind, but it still is all based in like a bunch of white people kind of have something. They have these jobs and money supposedly, but it's actually still its own version of, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's really, it's really such a cool moment because when he sees it, he has nothing but disdain for it. Yeah. And because he sees it on like an individualist level where it's like these people have just given up their, their ability to, to control things and, and make their destiny. They're just pushing paper and blah, blah, blah. As he's, you know, both having this moment, you know, based in all of his power and ego, his actual insanity, but he's also validating his murder by being like, I'm doing something of consequence. Yeah. You know, as these people are punching a printer, it, right. it's, Man, it is that is like a home run moment in that book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. True home run. I agree, and it's I do think it's definitely like uh, a lo a lot of Alan Moore's writing is like very political, sometimes in ways that I like do not agree with. But like, I think that's a lot of what he's going for in that book in particular is he's he's really trying to talk about like w the way Thatcherism really sort of basically like destroyed that country, but but by kind of solidifying this very old fucking idea about like what it means to be English and, and why that matters in the 21st century and stuff. Right. Mm. Yeah. Ego and identity through and through it's a, uh, but similarly, I think that what, uh, what Moore was able to do with that character and allow us to understand his motivations and, and, you know, just really get the why of it all um, is not quite there with V yeah. And I think that, that at least in, you know, and this for both the book and the movie, I think it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, the work is done, but it's like not quite enough work for me, but I just don't know whether to attribute it to the film or the comic, because like I said, it does resonate better in the film, but the comic is really just much, well, much better. And not to throw this on the fire so late in the game here, because I think we should probably start trying to figure out how to wrap this up, but like, it's also called V for Vendetta. And yeah. like, correct me if I'm there wrong, is but a like, vengeance aspect. yeah, right. Like the like, so it almost by its nature isn't his motivation like kind of undone by what it actually it, it, what yeah. it is in reality, right? Like, it's very unfortunate what happened to him, and what happened to him is the result of this crazy regime that he's like trying to to take down. Um, but like, 
it is a vengeance mission. It is not mm. the purity of idealism that he claims it to be. But you know, though, how often do you see that? Uh, I'm going to struggle to think of an example, but oftentimes I see people really acting with a vengeance mind and masking themselves and thinking that it's an altruistic motive. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, you know, and it's, that's quite insidious too. And, and so I do think that they're, that, the material is there in both the book and the movie to, to pull that off. I just don't, I keep saying it. I just don't know if they cleared that hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, there is, there is a vengeance aspect. And, and initially V was supposed to just be a Batman riff. Right. You can tell, I think that, that, you know, that, that is just, what it feels like. Yeah. Where yeah. does he, you know, where, how is he motivated and how is he actually able to see through that mask? Well, it's also like if Batman is about justice, right? Like if that's what we're going to boil Batman down to is that like he wants to see justice enacted in a way that whatever the current system doesn't allow for. Yeah. It's like, what is the actual logical conclusion of that? I think is mm-hmm. like kind of the basis of V. It's like if someone were to actually take that as far as it could go, it would look like V. You would become a political idealist that actually goes that far to try and achieve justice for, for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was, I was right before this, I was interviewing a guy, um, who works for this organization that advocates for, for abolishing the death tax. Um, and he put it in a very similar way that it's like, just a, you know, a a way to enact revenge, like just like an exercise in revenge that really doesn't solve any of what you know uh, uh of what people are actually upset about mm-hmm. you know, yeah you know with, i agree i think death penalty is barbaric i hate that shit yeah it's a little uh, a little gross yeah very um well look i think we probably should try and wrap this up so like anybody yeah, have like closing thoughts or parting thoughts about v for vendetta anything like joe so in rewatching it you said you felt a little conflicted about it like what i ultimately was kind of like i don't know that i necessarily like i appreciate what i appreciate about this movie is the kind of conversation that i think it sparks like this was a very good interesting conversation um i don't know that i dig this movie that much but i'm curious revisiting it for the show where you came down on it um yeah i think uh it's definitely like what you said is definitely like its strongest trait that as a conversation starter um as a uh a, a, a thought piece um i think that i i enjoyed watching it again i think it's one of those movies that like i really liked when i was 16 uh-huh. just sort of like sticks with me so it's you know it's yeah. something that I will enjoy, you know, it's hard for me to like, uh, 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 honestly critique like the original star Wars. Cause I saw it as a kid, you know, like, I know yeah, yeah. um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a, a fun movie again. It's like, it, it is, uh, it has some good ideas in it and then it's, it really is just a fun, like comic book movie. Yeah. <laughs> the, the definitely like the kind of serial aspect of it feeling like you can tell it kind of comes from a, a comic book. A serial is, is fun. is an interesting aspect of it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. It's definitely a movie that, that I don't think is fully complete, but is a really good time. But the thing that I, that I went into this with was so many people said, you know, the Wachowskis kind of ghost directed that. Right. And I'm going to say that I reject that hypothesis. Agreed. Because I know that they produced, but 
there is a certain grace and fluidity and beauty that comes with a Wachowski's pro, uh, you know, project that, that just was not here. Yep. And if there was one thing that either of them could, could have added to this, that's what I think it would be. And like, this was choppy. I thought the fight scenes were cut in a way that was displeasing. Um, yeah. it, it just, it's a movie that at so many points felt not comfortable in its own skin, in its own presentation. And I never feel that with anything that, yeah. that, that has been Ochowski sisters uh, thing. The most even stuff that they've produced in the past yeah. has that stamp on it. And I just didn't see that here, even in their role as, as uh, producers. I agree. I definitely don't feel like this has, this doesn't feel like it was ghost directed by them to me. Um, mm. I, I also, I mean, the most Wachowski thing about it is the casting of the, the news anchor is the, yeah, yeah. Uh, is the guy who he's plays, the speed guy. yeah, he plays Royalton in uh, speed racer and he's just like an absolute slime ball and he's so good at it. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah, he's the TV anchor in this movie, Joe, who's like, uh, you know, does all the sort of propaganda news reports throughout the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. In uh, in the book, that's actually one of the more like prolonged character things. Is they have a uh, multi-pronged. Uh, uh, there's the eyes, the ear, um, the hand, and those are like the branches of government control. Oh, that's and so. Cool. Like, I like that idea. He's the voice. The eyes are the cameras. The ears, the spies. Um, you know, I, I forget what all of them are. And yeah. so we actually get to know some of the newscasters and some of the, it's pretty cool. And I think the movie, if it had aimed for epic length and trimmed in other ways, could have supported that. And I, I wish that that was there because he could have really done a compelling job instead of just being a slimy ham. <laughs> yeah. Love him. Uh, so, uh, Joe, why don't you uh, like lay some lay your plugs back down for people if they still happen to be listening to this podcast forty hours later, whatever we've been doing? Yeah. Um, so the album is Rageonomics, um, R A G E Onomics, and uh, it, the best places to find it are uh, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, um, I believe Apple Music and Spotify. I think they might have on some other platforms they mixed me up with another Joe Messina, so like it's. Uh -huh. like, Guy, but um it's uh yeah it's on all those big ones and uh yeah it's an ep it's four songs it's a fun little thing i think it's like 12 minutes long so um be a soundtrack to your uh your journey through activism and uh, <laughs> joe i wanted to tell you that on uh on Bandcamp right now it says if i like you if i like joe messina i might also like la salami right. uh i might also like horse lords or hockey dad <laughs> man based on all of those names those are my new favorite bands that those yep. are great names la salami you betcha i'm in Thank la you. salami i want to listen to that and eat that i think when you per first put yourself on those platforms they don't know what to like compare you to so it's yeah. this wild mishmash I like the idea of finding out what genre of music you are through like the other bands that like <laughs> the music aggregator you're on recommends <laughs> If you like Joe Messina, you will like Neil Diamond. Ooh. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, yeah, I think it's, it doesn't, it's sort of a, uh, uh, I don't know if it fits into the folk punk category, but there is definitely folk and punk influence on the album. Yeah. Um, and uh, the podcast is Radicalize Me, and that's on all the big ones too, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, Anchor is where it's uh, anchored. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. Every, every two weeks on Monday. So um, the next one will be... Yeah. <laughs> one second. Today's the seventh. Yeah, the next one's going to be 17th. Is that what you said? Yeah. Right, right on. When you said folk punk, I was like, ooh, how can I portmanteau these? And unfortunately, both funk and polka are already taken <laughs> as uh, genres of music. So funk folk will have to remain unportmanteaued for now. <laughs> Unportmanteauable. Uh, Unportmanteauable. <laughs> you can uh, you can find uh, our podcast on um, uh, iTunes and all those places: Twitter, Facebook at I Like Two Movie. It's numeric two. Or you can email us at I Like Two Movie at gmail dot com. Uh, let us know you think the show. Leave us a, like a rating or um, a review on iTunes. That would help us a lot. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. I'm on letterbox.com at Philadelphia and uh, cinema76.com. Right on uh, at Dan Scully on all of those things letterbox, Twitter, fun, fun stuff. Uh, cinema76.com, findy.com. And then, uh, oh yeah, and you should check out my other show, Hot Property. It is not a real estate podcast, it is literally me and my buddy Steve just goofing off to blow off some steam in, uh, in quarantine. And we're having a lot of fun. Uh, mostly we talk about snacks. So you should check it out. It's very lighthearted and goofy. And um, I'm, I'm going to throw a plug out there. Friend of the show, Rob Peace of the band uh, Peace in oh, yeah. the City Grease. They just dropped an album today. Ooh. So you should check out Peace in the City Grease because it's quite good. They're they're very fantastic band. Yeah, nice. Um all right, let's uh, close this thing out. Joe, we have like a sign-off that we do all the time. I think you can probably figure it out as we go along here. Uh, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Joe Messina, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie, to because, movie, movie because we, we like, like to, to movie. movie. That never goes well on the internet. <laughs>